Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Anna Garcia has not won one, not two, and I'm just going to skip to the end or we'll be here forever. Not seven, but eight Emmy Awards for her reporting. She has been named Journalist of the Year three times by the L.A. Press Club, in addition to winning other acclaim from that group. I'm taking a deep breath now. Her accolades are too numerous to speak of, so I'll just say Google her. Anna is the host of Lifetime's new docuseries, Beyond the Headlines, which explores cases of families' lives that have been torn apart by terrible and sometimes horrific crimes. New shows air every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on Lifetime. And here to give us our true crime fix, Anna Garcia, welcome to Group Text. Well, thank you, Melissa. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, especially because I am a true crime junkie. Excellent. And my mother, my mother was a true crime junkie. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I was obsessed with your mother. You know that I'm wearing her pin. Yes. I, I, I loved your mother. I never had the pleasure of meeting your mom. But in her early days at QVC, I was a huge shopper of hers. This is back in the day where you used to get the program guide and you figure out when is Joan going to be on and then you, you know, turn the TV on and call and order the item. That was me back in the day. Glad. I, I, I love that. I love that you're rocking your B and I love that we're going to get to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is true crime. So your new show, Beyond the Headlines, it explores true crime in case you may have read about in the news but it, it's different. Yes. Instead of really doing a deep dive and exploring the cases, this takes a look more at what happens after. Exactly. These crimes are solved or resolved. What made you want to take this angle? I'm all about true crime. I mean, anything crime. And what's interesting and different about this series for Lifetime is that they kind of look at crimes in a genre as opposed to an episode being devoted to just one case, they look at a type of a crime, like the next one up in the series, which is going to be the second one, is called Beyond the Headlines, Surviving Abduction. And there are interviews with several women who were abducted and and the different circumstances under which they were abducted, why they were abducted, and how long they were held. And so you, you take a look at an abduction case, and Melissa, I know you're following the one right now, where the guy picked up a woman in Seattle last week, drove her down to Oregon and and chained her up in a homemade cell. So these cases are still happening every single day. We have a real problem with abduction. So the Lifetime series kind of looks at it in batches. And then, then the series episode after this one, which will be on the 19th, is called Toxic Love, where you look at murders that occurred you know, whether it was a love triangle or someone was being deceived and what they did to help that lover and go so far as to to commit crime. So you're looking at crimes from kind of like the topic of reasons why people commit them. What I also think is interesting is you do talk about survival. Yes. Yes. And surviving them, specifically with the abductions mm-hmm. and how people's lives change. One of the things that I found really interesting is Women are abducted much more than men. Yes. And there's this whole thing, and and we all know about Stockholm Syndrome, but you talk about um, trauma bond. 
Yes. Oh my God. So, and it's hard, Melissa, I think, for people to understand that, right? Well, because Stockholm syndrome is when you fall in love with your captor. How is trauma bond different? Well, there can, so one is specific to the captor without question. And I believe that the trauma bond is also very specific to the captor, but also the kind of bond, which is the second part of it, is your bond to others who have experienced it or the person with whom you experienced this horrible crime with. So like in the case of Abby Hernandez, who was 15 years old when she was abducted, imagine she's just a girl. 15 years old when she's abducted, she's held for nine months. Which is, could you even imagine her parent? I mean, it's just that to me, I can't even get my head around. No, nobody can. Nobody can. It's, and you know, so many times with missing persons, especially missing persons who are presumed dead, for the families of those people, so many of them sit there and say, well, what if he or she is alive? Because every once in a while, someone reappears right after being held in some dungeon somewhere. And so it makes you wonder, oh, my God, is my loved one being held captive, even though this is a smaller group of people who were abducted? But you're you're right. How would you for nine months, her mother's making appeals to the local news, uh, appealing to her daughter, not knowing that she was abducted. So maybe they thought, well, was she missing? Is she hiding? Right. Making all these appeals. Come home. We love you. Meanwhile, this poor woman is being held in a shipping container, right? Which is crazy. It is It is entirely crazy. And then she develops this relationship with her kidnapper who starts sharing with her how he's sorry he's doing this. He doesn't mean to do this. He doesn't want to kill her. And so he starts sharing with her about his upbringing and, and they start to find common things together, which when you think about it is, very sad and very sick, but it's, you know, you're two people stuck in this world and you only have each other. So this bond, in addition to the Stockholm syndrome, is starting to form. And for me, Melissa, this case is so troubling because after she was released, she gave the authorities different descriptions of her captor to keep him from being found. It, it's pretty remarkable. Like she literally was protecting him. Yes. Yes. And she talks about that and how she I think, you know, when you're that young, I think we have to give her a lit, little bit of leeway here because she was very young when this happened. And so she's probably going to be easier to manipulate than perhaps an adult woman. And it took her a very long time to realize that she needed to let go of this bond and no, he was not her friend and no, she doesn't need to give him any sympathy. And that was a very long process, which she has come out the other side. And I, I am so empowered by survivors because they teach me so much about what it is to heal, to move forward. I mean, there's, we all experience horrific tragedies and losses in our lives. And sometimes it is really hard to get up the next morning, right? And I absolutely I, and I look to them to help me understand how I can find that strength in myself. I learned so much from survivors, which is why this is honestly one of my favorite episodes. It's an amazing episode and each story is unique. But this show covers four abductions in one episode. What are the commonalities? 
Well, in some ways there aren't other than the abductor is a lunatic, right? Right. Right. Because in the first case, in Abby's case, this was a stranger. Then in the, in the case of Mary and Beth Stauffer, she, this was a woman, a mother who was abdu- uh, abducted with her daughter, her young daughter. Well, oh, it's, the, it's, it's horrifying. Horrifying. And who's the abductor? Her former student who had an obsession was obsessed with her. So, like, how do you prepare for something like that? And he repeatedly sexually assaulted the mother, thank God, not in front of the little girl. And the mother had to hold it together when she came back into the closet to be with her daughter. The whole thing is horrific. And this idea as a mother, and I know you understand this, what you will do to spare your child their pain, no matter what. No matter what. No matter what. So do you find, though, in all the stories that you've reported, it, is there any kind of commonality in, in, in abduction stories? Is it a matter of the opportunity presenting itself? Mm-hmm. Is it a matter of, do you see it more with people who are obsessed? Is it more random? So is for it- the... For the random ones, Melissa, I honestly believe that it's always about opportunity. This person, the, the the kidnapper, is generally on the hunt, and they're looking for someone who's easy to attack. So if you're walking alone on the side of the road and there aren't a lot of cars going by, that makes you a target. You know, if you're in a parking lot, let's say either early in the morning or late at night by yourself, again... That's an opportunity. And so that is one of the issues that you have is were you placed in a position that made it possible for someone to abduct you? Like how many women, how many women have we read about that went out for that morning jog and were attacked or abducted? I swear to you, every time I see a woman walking alone anywhere in any of the parks of Los Angeles, I've actually stopped doing that. Like I can't do it. I can't go in a park and wear my earbuds because then I can't hear someone coming up behind me. So I can't do it anymore. So It's like when we would teach our children never get within arm's length of a stranger's car, uh-huh. let alone even get near a stranger of uh, a car. I mean, there, what are some of the ways that you've seen, because again, you've been doing true crime and, and, and specifically we're talking about the first episode, which is all abduction. What are some of the ways you've seen um, victims get past the crimes are there any have you noticed any specific coping skills i mean i would encourage everyone obviously to go to therapy yes and and i also think it has to affect the relationships of everyone around them yeah i have i will say this because i've covered crime for so long and there have been some victims of abductions and and of crimes who never ever recover and they are forever broken and it's a very painful painful thing to see and that's just seeing it I can't even imagine living it so there are some honestly who never recover they just can't it breaks them and then there are those who manage to recover to the point of speaking about it publicly which I believe can be very cathartic and that's what I'm told like I never if you want to talk to me and tell me your story, I'll sit down and listen. But I am not 
I'm not going to badger you. You have it has to be something you want to tell because otherwise, I'm part of the problem of of re-victimizing you, forcing you to to tell your story again. So I think telling the story, I think obviously very good therapy is incredibly important. And for many of the people, we've seen a, a very strong faith, whether they are religious or they are spiritual something very, very strong within them and also a very strong family to help them through this recovery. You know, some people maybe only need one or two of those things. And if you're blessed enough to have a strong family, strong faith and a really good therapist, how great is that? This episode is sponsored by Via Hemp. Ah, yes, summer, longer days, warmer nights and the incessant chirping of crickets reminding you that sleep is a precious commodity. Whether you need to set the mood in the bedroom or just unwind after a day battling the sun, Vaya has your back. Enter their Rest and Recovery Gummies, a magical concoction of passion flower, L-theanine, and cannabinoids designed to lull you into a state of blissful tranquility. With options for both the THC-tolerant and the THC-shy, Vaya ensures you'll find your perfect dosage for achieving peak comfort. Vaya isn't just about taming the sleep monsters. They've got a whole array of gummies to cater to every whim and fancy with or without THC. And they'll discreetly ship their goodies straight to your doorstep, no matter which of the 50 states you call home. Just sit back, relax, and let Vaya work its magic. So if you're 21 plus, you can get 15% off a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code. Head to viahemp.com and use the code GROUPTEXT to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com, V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. So I have tried their Zen gummies and I got to tell you, they are amazing. I live in a very sort of continual stressed out state from work to being a mom to, well, just life in general. And the Zen gummies have been amazing for me. Head to viahemp.com and use the code GROUPTEXT to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21 plus. That's viahemp.com, V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P. Dot com and use the code group text at checkout. Enhance your every day with via hemp. God forbid you find yourself the victim of a kidnapping. What is, what should you do? Because there's always all different theories. And what have you seen to be the most successful defense? And I'm putting that in quotes. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to get away. I mean, any chance that you have to get away is imperative. In fact, I recorded a podcast this morning because we had a recent abduction and the former homicide detective said to me, you have got to fight like a Navy SEAL. You have to think, how am I going to get out of here? Every possible opportunity, you must fight and make an opportunity. At some point, this person may let down their guard. And so you'll have that opportunity. Okay. You have to weigh Am I really going to live this out? Is this person not going to kill me? Am I going to really believe this person? So I'm going to think, no, the chances of you getting killed are actually pretty high. So you got a choice. You're either going to make a run for it as best you can or, you know, because there will be retribution, right? If you're caught, 
there will be retribution. But how are you not being harmed in the current process, right? In the, your current situation, this is not safe. So you got to fight like hell to get to get out of there. And we've seen that where people have kicked and screamed, even in the middle of the abduction, where it scares the kidnapper away. And then, I mean, sometimes it's horrible, random things that you have no control over. Literally, someone is walking down the street and hears a scream. And it's like, do you hear that scream? Right. And they call 911. The worst of the cases are when people call, they call 911. The police officer comes and knocks and leaves because they can't find anything. That right. is, oh my God, that undoes me. So, but by the way, I don't know if you've seen, I think it's on TikTok, not necessarily on Instagram. There's this woman who shows you how to get out of like handcuffs mm. using like your sock and putting it on your hand and working it down and being able to play. It's fascinating. So you should, you should check it out. Oh, I will. It's, it's fascinating. And of course I'm trying to remember and I can't, but I know you like take off your sock or something like that and you, you work it under and then you roll it down and then you take your other sock and it's a whole thing. But again, it was, it just popped into my mind. Okay. You also talk about, and we're not going to jump ahead that much. My favorite, which is love with blood and murder and love triangles and all of that stuff. I mean, I find these fascinating and I can't, couldn't help but pause when it's, we learned about the woman who's excused, accused of murdering her husband, but she Googled incriminating evidence like poisons that don't leave a trace, how to get away with murder. I often think, like, should these people be put up for Darwin Awards? Do they not think that their Google history is going to be erased? Oh, it's and the people who think, oh, well, if I delete the text off my phone, then I've eliminated the evidence. No, no, no. More than ever, more than ever now, forensic digital evidence is changing the prosecution and conviction of these cases like never before. Your little, you, oh, I had my phone on this. Oh, yeah, really? Well, that app in the background <laughs> was picking up information and data on you, and that's how we can place you at the scene of the crime. Yes, I cannot. And the people who do the to-do list, they, they, they're, and they don't follow the list, right? Always. <laughs> they, oh, I'll come back. No one's going to notice me buying garbage bags, electrical tape, and a chainsaw. No, right. You know. From, right. from Home Depot. I, yeah. It, I mean, love triangles to me are crazy. Mm-hmm. Or killing because of love. And I know with the French, you know, it's a thing, you've got the crime of passion and that's a, a defense in court. But you got to think, wow, someone's really been pushed to the edge. I think so. I always say, you know, love triangles always end badly. Whether they yes, end they in do. Room, right? They, they do. never, and if they don't kill you literally, they will kill you financially. Yes, or your heart, or your heart, right? Somehow. Or financially, or financially. Or financially, or financially, okay. <laughs> it will kill you. Uh, it will hurt you without question, okay? So there's that to begin with. But I always say this over and over again. People look at murder as a, as a solution, as a problem-solving tool. I murder you, therefore my problem goes away. And in these murder triangles, the most dangerous time 
during the uh, about when a murder is about to be committed, especially in a, um, in a love triangle, is when the person fears that their secret will be revealed or the other person is getting in the way of their getting that dream that they want. So it's at those moments, either you're going to be revealed for the fraudster that you are and you're going to lose it all or you're going to lose your lover. You know, it's one or the other. And this this is the case that we see. Here's a woman. She's married. She's young. They live in New Jersey. They're both nice looking. She gets a new job, starts having an affair with her boss. And all of a sudden, her husband is found in a suitcase and pieces in Virginia. Because that's after Googling what to do with him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You, But you just brought up that it's, you know, that they're going to be found out. Again, mm-hmm. not going to, would be hard pressed to push you into murder. I understand more when people snap when they think something is about to take away their dream life that they think they're going to have. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the finding out seems so bad that it pushes you to murder? The one I can see how people would think that because they become obsessed with the idea of the dream and the this and the that. It's... To me, what's so confounding is always, so you're going to be found out. Like, you're not going to keep up this charade forever anyway. Right. Because you're normal, right? You you, well, you think of the consequences and you realize, you know, the value of life and you're not going to do this. But for some of these people, they are so fearful of their true self being revealed, meaning that they were a loser the whole time, that they never really made the money, that, you know, it was all a facade or... I, you know, daddy always thought I was a failure. It's it's that bottom line fear that just consumes them. And it's not rational by any means. I agree with you. Like, I can understand heat of the moment, something happens. But when you sit there for months and you scheme and you plot and you do and you order the poison and all of this stuff or you put the Benadryl in their coffee or what, however you're going to do it, this or iodine or the, um, the eye drops too. Oh, I didn't know about the eye drops, but isn't it that antifreeze doesn't leave a trace or it's tasteless? Oh, I don't know. I don't One know. Of them. The eye drops are like, there's, I say it's like a trend right now. You put eye drops in your, the coffee or the drink, which is tasteless. And, and you really have to search for it when the person passes and they're sick for a long time. Like they start having diarrhea and then they start having all sorts of cramps and then they start to fatigue. And we've had several of these cases where, honestly, I believe they Google it or they hear it on a podcast or something. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. Let me With figure like this regular Visine? Yes. yes. How much do you have to put in? It's just a a little over a time period. I mean, not like a drop or two. I mean, a reasonable amount. And yeah, I've had several of those cases in the last year or two where it's been eye drops where they use to kill the person. You make them ill first and then, oh my gosh, and you know, or they'll go back and forth to the hospital. They're like, I don't feel well. And there are all these records of text messages. It's like, Honey, I don't feel well. Oh, take care of yourself. You want me to pick you up at the hospital? And this poor person is suffering from these these symptoms that nobody can figure out what's wrong with them. They're being poisoned. They're being poisoned. It's so much. My writing partner always says so much easier 
pillow over the face, gentle pressure for five minutes, no particular hemorrhaging. Okay. Very dark. Uh, very, very, very dark. dark. <laughs> but we talk about divorce. Like, Why not just yeah. say divorce? <laughs> it, well, you know, um, uh, you obviously have never lived with anyone who snores. <laughs> That's because I am the snorer. There you go. Um, off the top of your head, just because we're laughing about this, who was the dumbest criminal you have ever learned about? Like you said, they make to-do lists. They do. Oh, my God. There's so many of them are so stupid, you know. Um, I had one on this morning that, honestly, I like, what was wrong with this guy? So he's uh, he's like 78 years old. First of all, why are you even bothering at this point, right? To kill someone, you're going to, all right. So here's what he does. He chops, he gets mad at his wife, and we don't know why, chops her up, puts her in a suitcase, and it's her suitcase, and it's got one of those airline barcode stickers that they put on the side of your suitcase when it goes, you know, to be checked in. Like, why in the world would you put body parts inside a suitcase that belongs to your wife and even has this barcode? How stupid is that? But that isn't stupid enough. Then, well, you know, that's, the- just, that's just sloppy. Oh, well, there's more. I can give okay. you more stupid. I have more Please. stupid for you. Okay. And so then he goes to the scene where he's dumped. This is what police say. He goes to the scene where he's dumped her body near Delray Beach in the intercoastal waterway several times over the course of several days where not only people see him, but he's caught on video. Wait a minute. Then finally, when the police finally get to his house for a search warrant, and you know, you're not supposed to be in your home when police are searching. What does the man do, according to police? He tries he tries to climb in through the back window to grab his cell phone and the keys to the storage unit where the chainsaw is. Okay, now that is stupid. <laughs> that, that is incredibly stupid. However, very spry for a 78-year-old. Yes, very, which I believe will be used in his trial if he does go to trial that you're going to be, if he's painted as, oh, he's 78 years old, he couldn't possibly have chopped up his wife and carried heavy suitcases. Really? Did you see him fly through the back window? It, it's unbelievable to me. What <laughs> you you obviously cover a lot of other areas in the show, but you also have a true crime podcast. Yeah. What story sticks with you? Oh my gosh, Melissa. Yeah. I I love doing the podcast because I get to have conversations like this and I'm not restricted to a time or something. Right. And That's so- why it's great. That's why it's great. That's why I love podcasts. I think that's why everyone wants to do a podcast so they can finally have a conversation with someone about something meaningful. Um, There is a case that really bothers me and always has from the beginning. And we covered it from beginning to end. And it was um, about a little boy who was autistic and he had a brother who was um, also had autism and his father, their father who was a New York City police officer and lived on Long Island, kept these two little boys in a cold, frozen garage with no bedding, um, no place to go to the bathroom. And they were treated so horribly for so long that in the end, on the little boys last night, it was like 19, 20 degrees outside. And of course he was freezing. And of course he soiled himself and then you have to imagine how um frail and fragile he was at this point the beginnings of hypothermia and this horrible son of a bitch father of his took him in the backyard and hosed him down with a garden hose and this freezing temperature 
And it was caught on surveillance cameras, not only at his house, but the neighbor's house. And he denied he then then when the little boy passed out and hit his head, he put him in the tub trying to warm him up. And he calls the police, identifies himself as I'm a cop. And my son just fell down running for the bus is the story he told. And uh, little boy goes to the hospital. He passes. He passes. And um, when the police finally talked to all the teachers for the two little boys, the teachers had written letters constantly to Child Protective Services. These little boys would show up abused with bruises, soiled and starving because he would withhold food from them. So the teachers would give them food. He has been convicted. His girlfriend's been convicted. It is honestly a haunting crime because of the innocence and the fact that no one would listen when many people sounded the alarm about what was happening to these children. So to me, that is just a case I cannot ever get rid of. It's, you want to say, yes, he had a girlfriend, but where's the where was the mother? Oh, my God. So, Melissa, the mother was ringing the bell. The mother, they were they had had a custody dispute. They had they had divorced and he was with a new woman and they had a blended family. And those kids were allowed in the warm house, but not his two children. And so the mother, the mother had made videos to show of the children describing what was going on. She had gone to the police and she had gone back to family court to say he should not have custody of these children. But who did they believe? They huh. believed the cop and not the woman, the mom who's an immigrant. No, they didn't believe her. And I'm sorry, but every single person who refused to listen to this mother, including the judge involved in this, they should all be fired. All oh. of them. All of them. That leaves me s speechless. Um, that is horrific. Yes, that should haunt you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the other little boy with his mother now? Yes. Okay. There's the happy yes. ending. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about something that's grabbing the headlines right now. The uh, the murders in, uh, was it Long Island? Oh, Gilgo Beach. Go Gilgo for it. Beach. Yes. I mean, with all the information that's out there, we've already said off, off camera that I would be a profiler in another lifetime. Yes. What have you noticed that the normal person would not have noticed at this point. Well, I guess the thing is that he actually, the suspected killer who is charged, presumed innocent here, right? Alleged, alleged. Alleged, right? Okay, so presumed innocent. He says he's not guilty, right? He's uh, he entered his pleas. The thing is, you look at the guy, right? And he looks like a very, like, normal, nondescript, but a little creepy guy that you sit next to on the subway or the Long Island Railroad. And the fact he lived in the creepy house and every neighbor has said all those houses in Massapequa Park are very nice. My cousins live out there. It's very nice. Every house is kept up except for his. And, like, no one would let the kids go trick-or-treating in the house because it was the creepy-looking house with the creepy-looking guy. Well, they and the and the wife. Oh, my was, gosh. was kind of creepy looking. You know, I feel bad for her. I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of people don't. But the authorities have said that he killed when she was out of town. What I don't understand is if he had a walk-in vault with like 300 weapons, how did she and the other kids like not notice this? 
Like yeah, three, I mean, there's one thing about being a gun collector, mm-hmm. but 300's a little, little excessive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know? Oh, definitely. And a walk-in vault. I mean, it's not like, I don't know, like a cab, a walk-in vault. Like how do you hide that from someone? You, you can't because you it can't. takes up space. You so, can't. You can't hide that. And then it's the classic double life. They yes. lead one life where they're a successful architect and consultant, um, highly regarded, has his own business, goes to Manhattan every day, right? You have that life. You know, and this is the man who wears the button-down shirt with the khakis, you know, and he's very, very big. And so then you look at his search history, the women, the violent pornography, extremely violent, what he's doing. I mean, it was really a whole other life. A whole, I mean, that's just it. They have, they, it's two things. They, they have the double life and they're very, very creepy. Or sometimes the person who looks like a serial killer is sometimes the serial killer. Yeah. You know, you don't, everyone doesn't have to wait for the dog to dig up a femur in the backyard and bring it to show you. Yes. Yes. That case. I'm obsessed with that. I am obsessed with the police. I'm mad at the police about that case because. Why? Okay. Because when the because he's charged with three murders suspected in form, because when one of the victims, you know, he came to her house and um, they played a little trick on him, like her buddies and and um, like kind of jumped him and said, Here, give me your wallet kind of thing. And then he calls her back and says, hey, can I get a redo? And so when she goes to meet him, she disappears. Right. But the thing is. At that point, the people who lived with her and played that trick on him, they had a description of the man and they described him looking like an ogre, described his height, his weight, and the car that he drove, that avalanche. No one ever did a search for that avalanche because when the task force was put together last year, the first thing they did when they went back and started from scratch was, okay, who drives an avalanche? It's this man with the first name of Rex, who's like six foot four and 200 and something pounds. He 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 fits the description. Oh, my gosh. Look at the car he drives. Hold on a second. That was missed 10 years ago. That's why I'm angry, because how many did he kill after that? Allegedly. So if you're an architect and have a creepy house, that should be. Oh, that should be a hint that something is amiss psychologically. Um. Let's just say the show is fantastic. It's- Beyond the headlines, Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Pacific on Lifetime. I am a fan. I'm going to keep having you. I, I, Like I said, I'm obsessed with true crime. Anytime My mother Melissa. was obsessed with true crime. I'm pretty sure after all the episodes of Law & Order that I've watched, I could probably, I'd be really good at pulling off a crime. Um, but this has been wonderful. Anna, thank you so much. Oh, a pleasure. Thank you, Melissa. Anytime. Ahura Media Production.